This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome. It's another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast sponsored by Cards Accepted. I'm Elliot Jackson and I'm joined as always by my co-host George Smith. George, how are you? Not bad, mate. Not bad. Steady away. Final few hours of the transfer window to go, but... Constantly looking at the clock and thinking mm, our deal's going to get done. Uh, from from the little conversation we've had off air, you're not enjoying it quite as much. No, there's a fair bit going on. So, uh, but we need to squeeze the podcast in, um, and I'm going to be at my desk till eleven o'clock tonight. So we may as well do it at some point. But yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a whirlwind. On today's podcast, of course, there was no championship action at the weekend, or well, there was a few games, but no full slate as we normally would have. We'll obviously be going through some of the biggest talking points from the action that did happen, but also we're going to be doing our mid-season predictions. Um, we thought this was a good opportunity to do that with the FA Cup fourth round, given that it's the end of the transfer window as well, so we've got a rough idea of what everyone's squads are going to look like. Um, so it seemed a good point to stuck, stick some uh, stick our neck on the line, so to speak, seeing as we always do our 1-24s to at the start of the season. Well, a lot changes in fairness between when we release the 1-24 to and when the transfer window shuts in the summer. So it's a good point, I think, with 28, 29 games gone to to recast some predictions, George, and, and, and some hot takes maybe on how the championship table will fare come May. George, we will start first with some championship headlines. Darren Moore has left Huddersfield Town. He was sacked on Monday after their one all draw against Queen Park. Queen's Park Rangers, a game I actually thought they were far the better team in, to be honest, and had the better of the play. Um, it looked like they'd snatched it late with a, a, a late goal from Jack Radoni, but um, a, a goal right at the end from Kenneth Powell, levelling it for QPR, and that proved to be the final nail in the coffin for Darren Moore. I feel like we've gone back and forth, or certainly I've gone back and forth on Darren Moore quite a lot. Um, obviously, three wins in 23 games is pretty atrocious. You can't defend that. There's been too many draws in there. There's not the 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 amount of defeats is not absolutely horrific, but too many draws. They've not strong enough wins together, and there was never really any bond between the fans and Darren Moore. It always felt like he was quite quick to cop for criticism. Some of that fair, some of that maybe a bit harsh. I think if you there's there's a schools of fought with this because ultimately if you look at the squad and, and pre-season expectations Huddersfield are about where they should be that is a fact you know no one could say they were expecting miles better position wise however the lack of excitement at times with the football that's been on offer the lack of wins and the fact that the fans never really bonded with him because I think in part he was following Neil Warnock who was obviously the Messiah after keeping them up last season in what really was an incredible job. Things haven't got off to a brilliant start this season, in fairness, under Warnock, but I think there'll be ultimately a lot of fans that think he could have done a better job than Darren Moore at getting more from this group. Whether they'd be in that much of a different position is hearsay. Ultimately, I think they'd probably be in around the same area. But yeah, I think Kevin Nagel's criticism on Twitter as well hasn't really helped the team, although... He and Darren Moore have tried to play it off as, as a collective um, of comments, you know, the collective at Huddersfield Town and that, that you know, results haven't been good enough, but that's not just the manager. It, it is it is seen as a dig, isn't it? And it, it does undermine the head coach when they've only won three games in 23 and you're posting very, very critical and very revealing videos or vlogs as, uh, as he's been doing most days while he's been in the UK. 
Um, they've obviously done a quite a bit of transfer business as well this month, so to not really give more much of a chance to work with those new players as well. And I think the performances were have been getting better. They've had terrible injuries as well. But, I mean, we'll come on to it later, whether we think Huddersfield will stay up. If you honestly think they're going to go down, then I suppose as the owner, you have to make that decision. You do. Ultimately, you do. Three wins, as you say, three wins in 23 games. It's it's a statistic that you can't defend. It's really, really hard to justify. Personally, I thought when Darren Moore went in there, I remember doing the podcast, both, both of us, um, September it was, and we both sort of agreed that it was a stable appointment, quite a steady pair of hands, having obviously done quite well at Sheffield Wednesday for, for a couple of years, got them promoted out of League One last year, then obviously left due to circumstances that obviously we've heard stories from both sides of why that apparently happened, but it felt like a stable appointment. And Following him from Neil Warnock, it was going to be a tough gig for anybody because Neil Warnock is renowned as being the ultimate messiah, isn't he? That saviour who can get the very best out of anything. Whereas Darren Moore is more of a builder to to take a team forward long term, putting stepping stones in place gradually, and then hopefully get into sort of a finished product and then moving the team forward and evolving. So it was always going to be hard for him because the squad, as you've said, wasn't wasn't particularly good. He didn't inherit the best bunch of players, but Neil Warnock as he's done throughout his career, got the very best out of it. So it was always going to be hard for Darren Moore to follow that on. But three wins in 23, it is really hard to to make a case for him. And ultimately, it was those draws that killed him. I couldn't believe when going through the Huddersfield results that he'd had on Monday after he'd been sacked, when the news came out, I couldn't believe the amount of 1-1 draws that were that were among those results that he's had. It was, I think it was about seven or eight 1-1 draws. It was remarkable, to be fair. And ultimately, that, that's what's cost Darren Moore his job. Do I think it's the right decision? In results in isolation, I think you've got to say yes. Huddersfield need a boost from somewhere. They need a pick-me-up to get, obviously, to stave off the threat of relegation. But at the same time, they appointed Darren Moore in a long-term contract, surely with the knowledge of what he'd done at Sheffield Wednesday, where he gradually built things up and practically re- well, rebuilt the football club, not just the squad. He'd really built everything after relegation in 2020-21 and it was because of Darren Moore that Wednesday were able to get back into the championship at the second attempt due to that gradual rebuilding process so I think it's harsh in the sense that you've binned him off after what three or four months it, it does seem very rash when you've appointed him on a lengthy contract knowing what his way of working is and the way he likes to gradually build things but results are the be-all and end-all in football aren't they it is a results-based enterprise and Ultimately, they've not been good enough and it will be very, very interesting to see where they go from here. So I think for, for Huddersfield, results-wise, they've made the right decision. But looking at the situation long-term of the way Darren Moore likes to work and his, his, his reputation as a manager of his methods, I just think it maybe is a little bit harsh because, as you said, performances gradually had been getting better, albeit not sort of standing back and making you think, wow, these look like a really good side. They were improving gradually. So maybe it is a bit of a, a knee-jerk reaction after another disappointing result at QPR. But ultimately, as I say, it's a results-based enterprise and Darren Moore, unfortunately, has not managed to get them results. And where Huddersfield go from here will be very interesting to see because in the situation they're in, at the point of the season we're in, Neil Warnock probably would have been the perfect man for the job in this situation. I think with Huddersfield, they've lurched from so many short-term managers yeah. to some long-term hires, but that have been disastrous. 
um, like Mark Fotheringham, for example. <laughs> and they ultimately need to back a horse, particularly, you know, Nagel obviously was the person that appointed Darren Moore. You know, it doesn't reflect great on him to be sacking someone six months into a three-year tenure as well. So he's got a big decision to make. Comments from the Huddersfield hierarchy seem to suggest they want a, another long-term appointment rather than a firefighter to come in and keep them up. I think when we look at some of the candidates and, and the betting odds, which of course, as always, disclaimer, they mean nothing. But let's have a look anyway, because it's a bit of fun. <laughs> Paul Heckingbottom is the favourite. He would obviously be an incredibly impressive appointment. I don't personally think that's likely. I would be very surprised, unless Paul Heckingbottom's desperate to get back in to management very quickly and desperate to be in the Yorkshire area, which would make sense, given that he's played for Wednesday, he's managed Barnsley, managed Sheffield United. Then I personally think he can hold out for a better job. Two of the names that I think I would be homing in on if I was Huddersfield Town would be Michael Duff, who of course was formerly of Barnsley, sacked by Swansea City, kind of disregard the Swansea City spell to be honest because it was just a bad mixture and I don't necessarily think it reflected that poorly on him I just think it was a it, it turned out to be a very bad marriage ultimately fans never really took to him and I think the football and the way he likes to to build a team could suit Huddersfield far more Gary Rowett would be another very good appointment I think he's done a very good job at picking clubs up in the sort of lower to mid area of the championship and building them up. If you'd look at the squads he generally had at Millwall, you would say that they probably had the talent disadvantage in most of their games. You know, it wasn't probably apart from last season where Millwall had their best squad under Rowett. It was never a Millwall team that was filled with superstars or, or, you know, had the talent advantage in most games, technically more limited than most of their opponents. But what he did do is he raised the floor and he got them winning games. He made them harder to beat. And I think he could definitely come into Huddersfield and really do that again. Again, I feel like Rowett probably would deserve a better job because I think he did a really good job at Millwall. It just went a bit stale. But I wonder with the trend we've seen of clubs going for younger perhaps like more trendy options, certainly ones that have got more of an attacking philosophy. And I don't think Rowett's a negative manager by any means, but he's a pragmatist. He will do whatever he needs to win rather than a Schumacher, rather than a um, rather than uh, Danny Rule, who, who are coming into attack to play a certain brand of football, whether it, they win, lose or draw. So again, it depends what Huddersfield want, but I think Duff and Rowett of those on the list that I think are plausible would be where I would be going with my uh, with my managerial hat on. Yeah, I think Gary Rowett's actually a good shout to be fair. He's he's obviously been out of work a few months now. Maybe he's had the maybe he thinks he's possibly had long enough to recharge the batteries, so I don't know. But he did. Over the course of his time at Millwall, he did do a very good job. And I'm actually surprised that he's so far down the bookies list to be fair. He's currently at 18 to 1 at the odds I'm looking at at the moment. So he would be in with a, a good shout, very experienced guy at this level, did a good job at Birmingham City, did a pretty good job at Millwall over the, the duration of his spell there, didn't quite work out at Stoke, but as we know, Stoke, it's not been a happy hunting ground for many managers in recent years, so I don't think it's fair to judge him on that period of his career. But in terms of the names on the list, there aren't a lot that you look at and you sort of think, yeah, they're, they're the ones. Alex Neal, maybe, he's still a decent manager in my opinion, didn't quite work out at Stoke towards the end, but did a good job at Norwich, did a good job at Preston over the years. 
I, I obviously got Sunderland out of League One at the first attempt. I don't think he'd be a bad shout, personally. Then you look at another name on the list, which I don't think would happen because of what he's onto at Portsmouth, and that's John Musinio. He was a bit of a wild card option when Portsmouth took him on when he was a, a obviously a, a player not long ago at Oxford United, and he, he's done a good job this season at Portsmouth. They're obviously riding high in League One, but is he the sort of man that Huddersfield need in the the situation that they're in? Possibly not. So I think Rowett would be a very solid appointment and a chance for Huddersfield, for the, certainly for the remainder of this season, as they battle the drop, just to try and get a little bit of stability in there. So I don't think Rowett would be a bad shout. He'd be able to hopefully, you know, see them through to the summer, keeping them in the championship and then take the club forward into that next stage. But hecking bottom, like you say, I honestly think he'd be a bit of a coup for Huddersfield, to be honest. I think he could... Certainly, based on what he did at Sheffield United last year, I think he could certainly punch a little bit higher. And I don't mean that with any disrespect to Huddersfield. And I actually saw some Huddersfield fans the other day saying, actually, that he only got Sheffield United up because he had a decent squad. And I don't sign up to that at all. All the backdrop of the problems that were going on at Sheffield United with the ownership uh, and all the things like that. He did a really, really good job to keep the players on track and, and do what he did. Of course, he got brilliant players in the likes of Elliman and Jai. He did unearth some of them brilliant did. players as well. He like, did a great Jai job. was in the squad and he wasn't getting used. He was the one that really brought him to prominence. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And like I say, the ownership issues in the background, that can't have been easy for any manager to deal with. So Heckingbottom would be a good shout. But like I say, I just think that may be a tad unrealistic at the moment. So... We, we will see. We will see. But I think Gary Rowett, he's not a name that I'd actually thought of um, until you mentioned him a few minutes ago, to be honest with you, because he was so far down the bookies list and you sort of forget the managers have been out of work for a few months, don't you? You sort of forget about them. But no, I think Gary Rowett would be a certainly a sensible one. Michael Duff, I think it's hard to gauge because a lot of people are going to remember that difficult few months at Swansea, even though the sacking was harsh. But he did an absolutely exemplary job at Barnsley last season and very nearly got them promoted. And again, though, I think he would be a manager, similarly to Darren Moore, where you need to sort of think, right, we need to look at this long term. And if results don't click instantly, is Kevin Nagel going to pull the trigger again so quickly? Because he seems the the character that doesn't sort of, not afraid to speak his mind, shall we say, publicly. And it, some managers may not want to work with someone like that, that are potentially exposed to that element of the job. So... We shall see. But for me, now you've mentioned it, I think Rowett would be a good shout. Yeah, I definitely do too. I think he could definitely offer something for Huddersfield Town, that's for sure. It'll be very interesting to see where they go next. Clearly not in a massive rush. Um, probably a good good point to touch on. One of the, the more eye-catching games of the weekend as well, George, which is Huddersfield Town against Sheffield Wednesday, which would have, of course, been Darren Moore playing against his old team as well. But even more of a um, narrative now that Huddersfield have got no manager. Obviously, a massive six-pointer between the two teams. Wednesday win, they go within two points of Huddersfield. If Huddersfield were to win, that would be an eight-point gap, which which feels like a big amount at this stage, although we've seen how it can easily get chipped away with a good run of results. That's going to be an absolutely massive game. And I would argue that, you know, Sheffield Wednesday have not won in three. They, they drew with Watford last night, albeit they were the better team. But... Having lost to um, Southampton, lost to Coventry City, two games that I don't think we should really take that much notice of and not, are probably not going to dictate whether Sheffield Wednesday go up or down. But 
after a disappointing transfer window so far, and there are a few hours left to go, it feels like the momentum has been slightly punctured. So if they weren't to get the result they want on Sunday, it is, isn't it? Or is it Saturday? Saturday. It's Saturday. Why did I think it was Sunday for some reason? Um, on Saturday, then obviously that that could that could really, really dent confidence at Hillsborough. Massive game for both clubs. It's a huge game. There's absolutely no doubt about it. It is a massive game for, for both clubs, obviously. Huddersfield have got the element of sort of moving on to a next chapter, a new start, if you like, even though they're likely to be under caretaker charge as we record this episode. Sheffield Wednesday go there, knowing that they've got the chance to reel Huddersfield in as far as two points with a victory. QPR, obviously, at Blackburn this weekend. Wednesday Heights will be keeping a very close eye on that game and hoping that Blackburn can do them a favour and then get back on track themselves in the league. But I think for Wednesday, this ultimately is is the biggest game of Danny Rill's Premiership so far. And obviously, it's, it's hard to sort of record this with still just over seven and a half hours of the transfer window to go. So it is difficult to sort of say what state squads are going to be in once the, the window slams shut. But as things are looking now for, for Wednesday, having not signed anybody on deadline day as we record this, I think the next two or three days ultimately will decide Sheffield Wednesday's season. They're desperate for fresh blood. They are desperate to get a little bit of quality in this team because between both boxes, Sheffield Wednesday, I was at Hillsborough on Wednesday night watching that nil-nil draw with Watford. You wouldn't have thought Wednesday were aside in the relegation zone up until they get into the final third inside the penalty area. They look a really, really good team. Danny Royal has done a remarkable job, really, what he's had to work with. And, and you mentioned there, Wednesday's last three league defeats, Two against Coventry, one against Southampton. Wednesday realistically shouldn't have been expecting anything else against teams like that. Coventry obviously on a really good run. Southampton absolutely flying at the moment, been flying for months. But then sandwiched in between that, Wednesday obviously they, they, they dismantled Hull on New Year's Day. They went to Preston and won. They, they, they got a point against Watford on Wednesday night when they should have won the game. So ultimately Wednesday are in a good position and I would argue they've been playing some some of the best stuff, certainly in the bottom bottom sort of six of the table since Danny Rill came in. They've looked a good team up until that final spark. So I honestly think Wednesday go into this one with confidence flowing through their veins, even though they're winless in the last three league games because they are playing well. But Huddersfield, their players are likely to be energised by having some fresh ideas installed. So it's going to be a really interesting one to see how this plays out. It's a huge, huge game for both teams. But if Wednesday are to lose this and fall eight points behind, obviously it's not mathematically over, not by a long chalk, but it certainly makes the challenge a hell of a lot harder. So for me, this game at the John Smith Stadium on Saturday is must win for Wednesday without any shadow of a doubt. They've got to win this game. Let's look at one of the other big winners over the weekend, George, for the, from the limited championship schedule that there was, and that was Sunderland. They, they relieved some of the pressure, certainly internally on McBeal, if not... And if not externally, that's for sure. Um, a 3-1 win against Stoke City. The fans have been, I think it's fair to say, very unhappy with the Mick Beal era so far. We were pretty vocal that we thought it was a, an incredibly harsh decision to sack Tony Mowbray. That said, fans already wanting Beal gone after eight games, seven in the league. And he went on the offensive in his post-match comments, which I thought was was quite interesting, suggesting his Cockney accent wasn't doing him any favours, that he couldn't do anything about it. I think it's fair to point out there were two points off the top six when he came in with two wins in nine. They're now one point off the top six, albeit various teams have various games in hand. 
they've only played seven league games. It feels very harsh. Whether you wanted McBealing or not, and whether you thought it was a bad decision to sack Tony Mowbray, I think we would both agree that there probably was better candidates than McBeal in our eyes, and Tony Mowbray shouldn't have lost his job. But once you've made the decision, and, and when you take into the fact some of the teams they've played, you know, Newcastle's a big derby, but ultimately they are going to be um, massive underdogs to win that game. Obviously lost in the FA Cup. Um, Ipswich lost 2-1. Ipswich second in the league have lost very few, two games this season, very few games this season. Hull, they lost to at home through a deflected shot. Wasn't a very good performance at all, but Hull weren't that much better. Um, and they have also beaten Hull in this run. So, you know, one apiece on that score. It does feel a little bit premature in my mind to be judging McBeal too harshly when he's not even had a transfer window. We still know they still need a striker. That's That's been apparent for a long time. It does feel like certain players have lost a bit of confidence and, and maybe it was changed for change's sake to get rid of Tony Mowbray. But that, that that's not... I think McBeal had a point a little bit when he said it's not his fault that that's that he was sacked. You know, he's been brought in to do a job. I don't think he's done a brilliant job so far, but I think it's harsh to judge anyone after seven games. Um, the Pritchard incident is obviously interesting. He's going to Birmingham, made himself unavailable at the weekend. But they're going to keep Jack Clark for the end of the season, until the end of the season at least. And with him in the squad, they will always have a chance to win football matches and, and, and ultimately have a match winner in their ranks. Most definitely. Jack Clark is Sunderland's shining light, isn't he? He is their main man. And as long as you've got him, you've got a chance of winning games, as you say. You're quite right. I think for Mick Beale, obviously, Tony Mowbray was immensely popular. A very, very popular manager. He did a wonderful job at Sunderland. We're both very, very fond of him. And like I said on, on the night that Wayne Rooney was sacked at Birmingham, Tony Mowbray would be my choice of Birmingham manager. Then obviously they did turn to him. So that sort of points out how highly rated Tony Mowbray is. And for anybody going into Sunderland, it was going to be tough to win over the fans. But I think Mick Beale, because of how it worked out at Rangers and the way it sort of petered out at QPR, people were a little bit un underwhelmed by it. They were a bit deflated by it. But prior to all that going off with QPR and Wolves and those links, he made an excellent start at QPR, didn't he? They were playing some brilliant football at that point prior to all those rumours and the way it just seemed to unsettle things. And at that point, I remember QPR, one QPR fan actually tweeting the podcast saying that he was the manager that he felt he could trust the most since Neil Warnock all them years ago at Loftus Road. So there's certainly a really good manager in there. But Mick Beale obviously has been brought in with the title of head coach with a firm emphasis on coaching the players and developing the team and sort of taking a backward step away from the other duties, what a manager would do with recruitment and other things like that. But I think you raised a valid point when you look at the teams that they've played in this run uh, of opening eight games that he's had. His first game, they lost 3-0 to Coventry. who have been on a really, really good run in the last few weeks. Newcastle, obviously, superior players. Big derby, of course. But Newcastle, you would have expected them to win that game with the, the superior quality that they've got. Edged out by Ipswich and then edged out by Hull City. So really, has it been as bad as what a lot of Sunderland fans are saying. And of course, we've not seen every single minute of Mick Beale's football. We, we haven't been able to attend Sunderland matches like Sunderland supporters do. So we, we can't claim that we've seen every game and every minute because we haven't. So we can't say that we're fully up to speed with every nut and cranny of the way Sunderland have played. But at the weekend, against Stoke City, by all accounts, Stoke 
made a real fist of it. From what I can gather, Stoke had a plethora of chances. And if it wasn't for those chances being squandered, Stoke would have taken something from that game. Apparently, Stephen Schumacher, the Stoke boss, was literally just stood on the touchline in disbelief that his players were squandering these opportunities. So it could have been a very different story had they taken those chances. But when you break it down, it's it's halted a run of three successive defeats for Sunderland. And maybe it's just the little injection of confidence that Mick Beale needed. And yeah, I saw a lot of comments from Sunderland fans last Saturday evening sort of saying, just because he's won, won one game, it's not going to change my mind. I want him out. He's got to go. I still think it's very, very early to be making those suggestions at this point because he is still in the early stages. They've got a trip to Middlesbrough coming this weekend on Sunday lunchtime. That'll be a tough game. Always is. But obviously been gradually improving in the league in recent weeks. So it'll be interesting to see how they go in that one. But I'm with you. Personally, I think it is a little bit too early to sort of say he needs to go. Enough's enough. Because at this point in time, bearing in mind the transfer window, as I say, as we record this with a few hours to go, bringing in another new manager now, it's not going to allow that person, whoever it would have could be, to sort of say, right, I can bring my own players and develop it a little bit further. Sunderland's hierarchy have made their decision. They've brought Mick Beale in. He's their chosen man. And I suppose it's just a case of let's see how let's see how it unfolds. But I think it's very early and quite rash to sort of be making a firm judgment like a lot of Sunderland fans are inside eight matches. Yeah, absolutely. I, you can't. I think you can't. No matter what the appointment is, and no matter how good or badly you think it's going, I just think seven games is a, is just an unfair sample size. You know, even if you're bottom of the league. Yeah. There are other external factors at play that you absolutely have to consider. And it'll be interesting to see how the Sunderland form continues after, you know, this 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 rise of toxicity towards Mick Beale and how he handles it because you know, it's the first time we've sort of really seen him go on the offensive as well, and that, that never generally ends well, does it, when uh, when a manager takes on the fan base a little bit. Well, I think. Funnily enough, just to interrupt there, I've actually been this week, for whatever reason, you know, when there's nothing on TV, you go back and watch old programs, don't you? And I've actually restarted Sunderland Till I Die on the, on the Netflix series. And the new series out, that's out soon, isn't it? I think it's in a couple of weeks' time. It's not far away, but um, the former chief, chief exec there, Charlie Methven, said that when this fan base turns against a manager, you've never, you're never going to feel another force like it. So, you know, if if it does get that far with Mick Beale, bearing in mind it's still very early days, it could be a point of no return for him. But I think he's, he, you know, he's certainly got to be given till the end of the season at the very, very least. Personally, I still think it was wrong to dismiss Tony Mowbray, but that ship sailed now. Sunderland have made their choice. And ultimately, we're, we're talking about a team here that are quite easily in with a chance of finishing in the top six. We're not talking about a team languishing in 18th place. We're talking about a team in seventh only two points behind West Brom in fifth. So it's not exactly a situation where you can hit the panic button and sort of say, we've got to change it, we've got to change it to save the season. Sunderland are still in a very good position there. I mean, the two points ahead of, excuse me, the one point ahead of Hull City, who of course are having a remarkable transfer window, signing players like there's no tomorrow. And yet Sunderland are still in the mix. So I think you've got to give Mick Beal time to develop his ideas, get it across. And ultimately, he's only been in the job, what, five, six weeks? It's still very early days. Yeah, absolutely. I think now's a good time, George, to move on to our mid-season predictions as promised at the start of the episode. We're both going to pick 
who we think will be automatically promoted, the four teams that will follow in the playoffs, and who will get relegated. We did our 1-24s, of course, at the start of the season. Um, George, probably worth a quick reminder in each section of who we went for. So at the start of the season, I went for Leicester City to win the league. And I went for Middlesbrough in second. I thought they would really build on the work of Michael Carrick. I thought there would be more incomings. There were incomings, but not to the, the requisite standard that I'd perhaps envisaged, having lost Akpom, Archer, um, Ryan Giles. I think Akpom hadn't gone, actually, at that point either. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that one's going to happen, obviously. In terms of my mid-season predictions, I think it would be pretty foolish to look beyond Leicester City to be uh, championship champions might well break the 106-point barrier, which was set by Reading. Of course, it's still a championship record. There's, it's been quite interesting, actually, because there's been a bit of um, bit of prickliness from Enzo Maresca in, a, in, in the Leicester City fan base about the style of play and whether fans are a little bit bored and whether, whether it's exciting enough, which is quite bonkers when you've got a team that's currently tracking to break the championship record and beating nearly every single team in their sight. Um, so for me, it's got to be Leicester City who are going to be champions of the championship. I don't really see anyone catching them. I don't really see what could derail them to the point where they would um, they would collapse. They're, they're not over-reliant on anyone in terms of star players. Yes, they've got obviously key individuals, Steffi Mavadidi, Keenan Jewsbury Hall, who there's been a bit of transfer interest in, but they're not solely reliant on one name. And therefore, I think it's quite clear that they will win the championship, which is of no surprise to anyone. In second place, I'm going to go with Southampton because I feel like they have got a real grip on their squad. I feel like they've got... A real dearth of quality. Uh, sorry, a real depth of quality um, in terms of players that have come in and made a real impact. We spoke about this quite a lot when we spoke about Southampton on the podcast. The likes of Ryan Fraser, Samuel Adozi, uh, Jola Rebo before he went to Afcon. Players that weren't really featuring that much now contributing and chipping in. Um, Carlos Alcaraz has gone out, but in his place, David Brooks, who might well turn out to be one of the signings of the January window, a fantastic addition um, to bring him in. Obviously. Recently back in football after his um, after his battle against cancer, which is obviously so delightful to see him back on the pitch and to see him flourishing. But he's not had a lot of game time at Bournemouth, so he'll be a little bit rusty. He's obviously had a spell out before with with battling the illness. But I do think this is going to be a real, really good signing. He's a very um, Russell Martin type player, isn't he? He's, he's play, he'll play on the right hand side, but he's someone that that likes to combine, likes to play in tight areas. Um, as much of a number 10 profile as he is a winger, to be honest. So I just think with the quality they've got, with the run they're on, with the depth of squad, I think it feels inevitable they will catch Ipswich. I think Ipswich have done fantastic and I definitely think they will stay in the playoffs as we'll come on to. But yeah, I find it very difficult to look beyond Leicester City and Southampton. I'm going to have to say snap. It's, it's as simple as that. And they were my picks for the top two at the beginning of the season. I had Leicester in first and Southampton in second. Did you? I don't remember and you Southampton. I did. I had Southampton I'm in second. I was lying more... because it would be a pretty, pretty no, no, damn no. thing to do when you've got, we've got, we've got audio. <laughs> we've got evidence. <laughs> no, we, we actually made these predictions. Looking back now on the 30th of July, I've just looked at the note on my, uh, my screen when I last edited it. 
But um, Southampton, I did put in second place and, and they've got better and better, haven't they, as the season's gone on. They've just improved at a rapid rate and the addition of David Brooks early this week is is quite frightening, actually, for this level when you take into account the level of quality and attack that they've already got. When you think of Adam Armstrong, Shea Adams, Ryan Fraser stepped up in recent weeks quite considerably. You've got, you've got a, such an embarrassment of riches in midfield as well with the likes of Flynn Downs, Will Smallbone. Stuart Armstrong can pull the strings from pretty much wherever. It's a brilliant squad. And Southampton, obviously, are on this remarkable run, not losing a game since, I think, it's the 23rd of September, if I think of the date off the top of my head, when they lost at Middlesbrough. 22 games unbeaten. It's it's quite staggering. And based on this form and the, the way that they're steamrolling and just battering everybody in their way and the, the recruitment that they've done, you would expect them to eventually overtake Ipswich. They're currently a point behind them, both on equal amount of games. So it is going to be a race, you would think, right to the finish line between these two potentially, even though, of course, you can't rule Leeds United out just behind them. They're on 57 points. So there's only two points separating those three sides as we as we enter February. So it's going to be a really interesting end to the season. There's no doubt about that. But I just think Southampton have just got that little extra edge in terms of overall quality and momentum, as we've mentioned many times, is such a wonderful thing in football, especially in this league. And they've got that in, in bucket loads at the moment. So for me, Southampton, I think, will clinch second spot. I don't think it's any debate to be had that Leicester will not win the title. Whatever Enzo Moresca, whatever he's saying, they're, they're just a class above, aren't they? Even though some of their performances recently have been a little bit patchy at times, They've just got that quality. They know how to win games. They're going to win nine out of ten most times. You know, it's it's quite ridiculous, really, that he's even sort of sort of moaning about little things. Every other Championship club would die for what they'd got, for what Leicester have got. So, yeah, I think Enzo Maresca just needs to watch out a little bit because you know it's it's sort of. He's moaning for moaning's sake, if you like. They've got nothing to moan about, Leicester. When you think of the success they've had in recent years, it must be really exciting to be a Leicester fan, really. I've got a Leicester, I have got a Leicester City fan who was one of my groomsmen um, at my wedding. And I tell him every single time I see him, Leicester, I don't think you could have supported a better club than Leicester City in the last decade. No, Premier League title, Champions League experience, League FA Cup. League One, Championship, Premier League, FA Cup, Champions League quarterfinals. Get relegated <laughs> so you get to you get to walk the championship yeah. again. Like yeah. You couldn't have had a better club to have supported. No, I mean, it, it's ridiculous really, isn't it? But, I mean, Leicester, I'd be absolutely astounded if they're not lifting that championship trophy come the end of the season. I really would. It's going to take some collapse from here. Ten points clear now. Yeah, Ipswich have got a game in hand, but even that would only take it to seven if they won it. So, I think Ipswich, I think Leicester are a safe bet for the title, no doubt about that. But at the moment, based on current form and the way they are, they've certainly strengthened with the addition of David Brooks. I think I'd be leaning towards Southampton to clinch second spot. I think with Ipswich, obviously they have strengthened with the signing of Al Alhamdi from um, AFC Wimbledon, who's very highly rated. Will he come in? And- you know, be the difference for them getting promoted. I I think stylistically, there are a few question marks about how quickly he'll adapt. He's someone that plays on the shoulder, wants to run him behind. George Hurst, his qualities were, although he's perfectly adept at running the channels, you know, he's, and he's a lot quicker and more mobile than I think a lot of people would expect for someone that's six foot two, six foot three. He, his qualities were being a more traditional target man in terms of bringing others into play with Broadhead, Chaplin, Burns in, in nice little pockets. And whether Al- 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 will do that, 
I think he's got to develop that style of his game. Only 21, great prospect. However, the signing of Kiefer Moore, who looks set to come in on loan from Bournemouth, that will be a really, really good addition if that does indeed get confirmed. I think he has a lot of the same qualities as George Hurst did and obviously scored a hell of a lot of goals at Cardiff in the Championship before. He's not played a lot of football in the last year, um, so he might be a bit more rusty, but I'm sure he will be a good focal point. And, it, you know, if he plays 60 minutes and there's a bit of a battering ram, and then you can bring on some of the explosive pace that Al Amadi's got, that's going to be a really good combination. I just wonder whether they might run out a little of steam a little bit as the season goes on. I have to say, though, I was very impressed with their second-half performance at Leicester. And then with Leeds United, um, I just I just feel like there's a couple of holes still in their squad defensively. Um, full-back in particular... They look like they're going to sign Connor Roberts, which will be a good addition. But strikes out at the moment. Um, Ampadu's been playing centre-half. I just think maybe there are a couple of players short at the back to really definitely make that ground up. Um, Somerville's been fantastic. Dan James has been great. Jorginho Ruta, superb. But I just think they're probably probably the shortest of the four in my mind at the minute. So I think in terms of the playoff places, my first two which I assume will be the same for you in terms of Leeds and Ipswich. I would have Ipswich in third at the moment, Leeds United in fourth. Then we get into fifth and sixth. So assuming you've got Leeds and Ipswich as well, George, where are you going for fifth and sixth? I'll let you go first. Well, you've definitely said right, thinking of Leeds and Ipswich. They they would be my two, certainly, to finish in those first two playoff positions if they don't get up automatically. Not quite sure what order they'd be in, to be fair, because I think... Leeds obviously have been absolutely rampant at home and if they continue to maintain that and pick up points away, they could knock on the door for for, for, for third spot ahead of Ipswich. And it's not a case that Ipswich are doing anything wrong because they've been brilliant all season. It's just maybe Leeds just got that little bit of extra touch of magic and a little bit extra quality that might just pip them. But even though even so, Ipswich finishing the playoffs would be a remarkable story. So third and fourth for those two. In terms of my fifth and sixth place teams... I've got to put Coventry City in there. They'll be disappointed that they slipped up and dropped a couple of points against Bristol City on Tuesday night, even though by all accounts, it, from the reports I've read and fans' comments I've seen, it was more like a point gained in truth. Apparently, they weren't at their very best, Mark Robbins's team, but they've taken 10 points in the last 12 on offer. They've been in really good form and there's still a little bit of time left in the window, as we keep saying, so they might bring an extra body or two. And I know some uh, Coventry fans have been craving a striker, so let's see if anything happens on that front. But even so, they've got a really, really good group of players there. But the loss of Ben Sheaf for a little while, by the looks of it, with a hamstring injury is a little bit of a blow. So they're going to feel the effects of that, I would imagine. But we shall see. So for me, I think Coventry definitely finish inside the playoff places. And if I had to edge my bets on who will join them, I personally would stick with West Brom, if I'm being truthful. I actually think West Brom... Even though West Brom are not the most sort of pleasing on the eye team with packed with flair and excitement and trickery and quality, they've just got the know-how of nine times out of ten how to get the job done, particularly at home. Carlos Corbran, against the backdrop of difficult financial situation in the background, continues to do a really, really good job. And I honestly believe West Brom don't get enough credit for what they do, to be fair, in terms of this group of players and the management team, because they've been there or thereabouts all season. They've been relatively consistent, certainly at home. Brandon Thomas Asante stepped up. He's had a really good campaign so far. So they've got a player scoring goals. DK is still working his way back to full fitness and finding his feet again after so long out. 
and ultimately you've got the likes of Jed Wallace, John Swift, who will chip in with goals from the engine room. So you've got a good abundance of attacking talent there and a relatively stable defensive line. A lot of people will probably say Hull City. And based on the signs that they're making and what they could still do, apparently they're, they're trying to get a deal over the line for Anas Zaruri before the end of the window, which would be another fantastic addition. If I'm being honest about Hull, and yes, they've strengthened really, really well, brought Ryan Giles in this week, which I think is a superb sign, and I really do. That is an excellent addition. Every time I've seen to watch Hull, though, I haven't been that impressed by them. They look a good side, but they don't look as good as what I think maybe they could do with the signs that they've got on show. Admittedly, they've had a lot of injuries in recent weeks. They've been robbed of Jaden Philogene, their main man, for quite a few weeks, and he's not far off now, so that should give them a really big boost. For, for the remaining 18 games or whatever it is left. So they've certainly, obviously they're well within the race. They're only three points behind West Brom in fifth place. So you can't sort of discredit them. But personally, I think West Brom might just be strong enough to hold on. So I'm going for them and Coventry to wrap up the wrap up the playoff positions. I agree with you on Coventry City. I'm pretty adamant they will get in the top six. I feel like they are only going to go going to get stronger. I know they've been on a brilliant run and they weren't great on Tuesday night by all accounts when they drew two all with Bristol City. But I feel like they're only going to get stronger. Obviously, slight injury doubt over Ben Sheaf at the moment, which is a concern. But I feel like Mark Roms has really stumbled on a good formula. They haven't done much in January. They've obviously brought in Victor Torp, who looks really, really good. Scored a fantastic goal against Sheffield Wednesday on Friday in the FA Cup. And he looks like a really dynamic midfield addition who can hopefully add an extra bit of sparkle in the engine room for them. I think the back lines look really good since they went to a four. Really like the combination of um, Bobby Thomason and Liam Kitching, who obviously played together at Barnsley last season on loan um, in terms of Thomas from Burnley. So I think they've got all the right ingredients to just keep growing and growing. They've got a brilliant manager. They've got some experience of last year. And if they can keep Callum O'Hare fit, as I said on last week's podcast, I do feel like he is the stardust just sprinkled on top, which can really unlock this team. Casey Palmer's been in good form as well lately, playing from the left with Hadji Wright out injured. Would I like, would I feel a little bit more confident if Coventry had a, were to, able to get another number nine in over the over the next few days? Maybe, but I think Ellis Sims has definitely got more levels to go up, scored against Bristol City, so hopefully that'll do his confidence good. And I just think if I look at the teams between... 6th and 12th, which are which is a five-point gap, I don't trust any of them. <laughs> and that's why they're so well close together. So if I look at the, the those teams, and I include Coventry in that as well, Coventry are probably the one I trust the most to be consistent enough to get themselves over the line. So I'd have Coventry in 5th. And in 6th, I'm really struggling because I just have some doubts over West Brom about whether there's enough goals and whether there's enough creativity and whether they're going to do enough to get over the line. I think there's a lot of other teams that have got more, have got higher ceilings. And I think West Brom's injuries aren't great either. But I also do very much trust Carlos Corbran. And I know their base level, again, to use the floor and ceiling, they've got a, a better floor than everyone else. I think they are going to be, they're, they're less likely to throw in a really bad performance. You know, even the defeat to Norwich recently, they were the, you know, they were, more than good enough for a point, really. And it was the second goal came at a real sucker-punch time for uh, West Brom from uh, from Sargent. So I just feel I'm a bit on the fence with them. But then, I, I, but then if you look at the contenders, 
and looking at Middlesbrough, I've kind of felt Middlesbrough could do a little bit more all season and they never have. And it would be sod's law if I stopped believing in them and they then went on a run. But I am starting to think maybe I've got too much confidence in Michael Carrick and some of these very young players who are hit and miss. They've just saw Morgan Rogers, a deal that I've found quite bizarre, I have to be honest. I think Middlesbrough definitely got the better end of that deal. Rogers has shown a lot of the potential, but I think it's an, an amazing flip from um, from Middlesbrough to selling for a million pounds and selling for a deal worth in the region of 15 million as a total package. I think there's a lot of better young talents at the moment um, that I would have gone, you know, is, is Morgan Rogers a better player than Jaden Philogene, someone they sold six months ago to Hull? I wouldn't say so. Um, is John he a better Rowe. player than Morgan Wicketeaker? John Rowe, um, no. Uh, Jack Clark, albeit Jack Clark would probably cost more, no. But I suppose it depends what they want to mould him into and if they feel he has got probably more physical traits than some of those other players. So maybe they could mould him into a sort of number nine central player um, and maybe that's what they're looking at, the physical profile as well as the technical ability if they can develop that. So I think it's a good deal for Middlesbrough. They've obviously got to try and replace him um, or they're going to have a bit of a war chest for the summer. I don't think Middlesbrough will put enough together to get in there. And if they do, I'll be really annoyed because I've pretty much said all season I fancy Middlesbrough to be the one that breaks out the pack and goes on a run. Hull, very impressive signings. You know, Anna Saruri looks like he's going to come in as well to complement uh, to, um Tuzan to complement Philogene, to complement Connolly Delap when they're fit. Um, so many good players. Fabio Carvalho, of course. It's. It, I still think defensively they've. I've got question marks. The same with Sunderland. I think they've got match winners. I think again their ceiling's quite high when Jack Clark's on form, when Ju- when uh, Joe Bellingham's on form, when Patrick Roberts is when he's back from injury. Still lacking a centre forward. I don't really fancy particularly, you know, a Cardiff to break from the pack or Bristol City. Um, I'm trying to think who else is sort of in that mix. Preston, I don't really fancy any of those. So I've kind of come to the summation that actually I'm going to go with what you said and go with West Brom because I don't really believe that much in another team. I believe in Coventry a lot and I think West Brom could get caught, but I'm not, not convinced about the challenges having enough consistency. There's a long way to go and it's it sounds really boring that we've kind of picked Southampton in second and we've picked the current two in fifth and sixth in Coventry and West Brom. But it's hard to hard to see who could, you know, think where Coventry were this time. If we were doing this podcast this time last year, we'd have never put Coventry in the top six. They won a fantastic run of form in the last third of the season to get themselves in there. I'm struggling to see who's going to put that run together at the moment. Middlesbrough, the one. If someone's going, if someone's going to come really from the pack, it'd be Middlesbrough for me. But I'm going to go with Coventry and West Brom in my fifth and sixth. So we've both gone for the same so far, and that takes us to the bottom three. George, I think it's fair to say we both think Rotherham United are going to go down. For as much yeah. as they've put um, a lot of effort into trying to get out of it, as much as Liam Richardson we think is a decent appointment and he's doing okay so far. I think it's hard to see how he's going to lift their floor and ceiling to a point where they're going to pick up enough points to stay up at this at this time. They, they haven't really done anything in January. And I think, if I'm being honest, I think that's a little bit of an acceptance that they need to keep their powder dry because it's probably not worth spending too much because they're going to go down and better to regroup and try again in the summer. So I, I, I kind of feel like there is a little bit of resignation with Rotherham that they will go down. And, and while the away form is as poor as it is, that's always likely. 
QPR, Huddersfield, Sheffield Wednesday, I suppose. A lot of people are going to be grouping those three together and say one will survive. At the moment, you know, Stoke, Plymouth, Birmingham are probably the next three above. I don't really see any of those three getting dragged into it horrifically unless Morgan Whitaker was to leave in the final few hours of the window, which I don't think is going to happen considering they've already rebuffed an effort from Lazio this week. By the way, I think someone, whoever whoever's become the new, like, head of recruitment at Lazio has got some sort of EFL interest because they've gone after Jack Clark, Morgan Whitaker, and John Rowe this week and failed with all three. I reckon they discover the Championship Chat podcast. That's what I reckon. You think we are single-handedly funding moves for other people? I think we are. I think we've become the scouting hub for Serie A. Interesting. Uh, (laughs) If that is the case, let us know. But yeah... (laughs) I, I I think it's between it's going to be it looks like it's going to be one of those three that survives and two go down at the moment, isn't it? I would expect so. I I think looking at it, I think that is the general thought process of most people looking at this. I mean, Birmingham, Stoke City, thirty-two points each at the minute, seven ahead of QPR, who are currently twenty-second. It's not an impossible gap for for those trying to get out of this situation to claw back. Sheffield Wednesday play Birmingham a week on Friday. So, say for example, and obviously a lot of cards would have fallen into place here, say Wednesday win at Huddersfield this weekend, Birmingham lose, and then Wednesday beat Birmingham next Friday night. The gap would all of a sudden be down to three points between those two. Obviously, you need about three or four results to come to fruition for that to happen. But say it did then at that point you might start looking over your shoulder if you're a Birmingham fan. But I think with Tony Mowbray at the helm, they've added Alex Pritchard to their team today. That's an extra dimension, an extra bit of attacking quality. I I can't see Birmingham going down at all. So I do think it will be two of the the three we've mentioned of Huddersfield, QPR and Sheffield Wednesday. It's really, really hard to sort of suggest who could get out of this of those three and survive because Huddersfield, they could get a really good manager bounce if they get someone in with fresh ideas and gets an instant response. Sheffield Wednesday, I felt a lot of it rested or still rest, should I say, on what they do in these final few hours of the window. As as I say this, we've now just ticked tick past the point of just under seven hours to go. The Owls yet to add anybody today. But then I, then I take into account that Wednesday have been playing some really, really good football and have been quite unlucky on certain occasions. They should have beaten Watford on Wednesday night, battered them in, in large parts of the game. And then you've got QPR, who have been in fits and spurts, really. They had a really good start under Marti Cifuentes. looked like they were going to get out of it and they were playing some good stuff, strung two or three wins together. Then they tailed off, had a really bad run Christmas and then through January, bulk of January, so I think on the presumption that Rotherham definitely drop and it almost feels like we're definitely forgetting about them now, bearing in mind the 13 points from safety, uh, nine points from safety, should I say, I, I think it is going to be one of Wednesday, QPR, Huddersfield to stay up. So if I had to put my money on who would stay up right now and this, you know, is hard for me to say, I think I will probably lean towards QPR, being honest, because I just think they've got that individual quality of Willock and Chair when they're up and at it that can cause a lot of problems. Wednesday, they've shown glimpses with the likes of Anthony Masaba, Jenny Gassimer in the last few weeks. Bailey Kadamatri has done it in fits and spurts that they've got young, hungry players there. 
but Willock and Cher obviously a little bit more established. Huddersfield, in my opinion, don't have anybody in that category at all of, of game changers, match winners. But a lot of it, obviously, this situation rests on who Huddersfield appoint as manager. So it's, it is really difficult to sort of make a firm, concrete judgment on who will get out of it. But I think if I had to look at individual talent among these three squads, I would say QPR have got the best in terms of match winners and game changers at, at the moment. Obviously, things can change with a few hours left in the window, but situation looks bleak from a Wednesday point of view at the minute. doesn't look like they're, they're close to anything as things stand. So I think QPR of those three possibly get out of it and, and Wednesday, Huddersfield and Rotherham make it a Yorkshire trio to drop into League One. I take your point and I agree that QPR probably got the, the, the match winners in their squad. I think they've probably also got, I think Huddersfield have probably got more seven out of six or seven out of 10 players across the starting 11. Um, but QPR have got those couple that can really raise the ceiling. And it is very hard to make predictions when Huddersfield don't have a manager in situ at the moment. I just, I just think, and I was absolutely adamant that Sheffield Wednesday would get relegated all season until they won five games out of eight. And I just think that they've got the best manager in out of the three of them in Danny Rail, from what we've seen so far and the way he's transformed the football club. There's no doubt they need to try and sign a striker in the in the last few hours of the window. But I think that they might stay up. And I do I understand why a poor transfer window of January as we as we speak now. And also, you know, a couple of, you know, three games without a win, albeit against very difficult opposition and a good performance against Watford. It has punctured the momentum a little bit and the feel-good factor. But I feel like you get the window shut and Danny Real knows what he's working with. Hopefully it's stronger from their point of view than it is right now. I think they could stay up. And I, I do think I would stay go with Sheffield Wednesday by the skin of their teeth to stay up. That, that, that's my opinion. That. Pardon? Home form for that, I think, will be very, yeah, very key. absolutely. Generally, they've, they've been a lot better at Hillsborough since Danny Real came in. With the, the exception of the, the Millwall defeat, when they were beaten 4-0 back in November, Wednesday have, by and large, been in every game at Hillsborough. I know they lost to Coventry nearly a couple of weeks ago. They weren't quite at their best that day, but that's against Coventry, a really good team. But they've beaten Hull City there. They drew with Leicester. They've had some good results on their own patch. So if they can make Hillsborough a bit of a fortress and then win the likes of the trips to, to Huddersfield coming up this weekend, Rotherham away is about three or four weeks away. That's not far off. That's going to be a massive game. And then they've got home games coming up against the likes of, as I say, Birmingham next week, Bristol City not too far down the line. They've got Leicester away in there. But the fixture list for Wednesday generally, after you know Coventry and Southampton in quick succession, is looking a little bit easier. And let's not forget Watford have been on an excellent run away from home recently. And Wednesday very, very, very nearly won that game last night and they should have done. So they certainly, if they can make Hillsborough a bit of a fortress again, like they've been doing... I think they have got a chance, but like I say, for me, it's just those match winners at QPR that could make the little bit of a difference, even though Chair and Willock have not quite been as influential as Marty Sifuentes would have liked them to have been in recent weeks. So I think it's it's difficult, but it's especially difficult not knowing who's going to try and lead this Huddersfield fight. If, say, Darren Moore was still there and wasn't in any sort of immediate danger of going, I think it would have been easier to make a judgment. That element just throws a little spanner in the works for me. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that I know they beat Stoke recently. Um, sorry, they beat Millwall recently, but 
I just feel like the QPR have dropped off a little bit and I'm not sure they've done a great deal in January. Sheffield Wednesday haven't either, really, to be honest. Huddersfield have probably had the best window of the three of them. But they've also got no manager, so it makes it very hard to believe in someone definite. I'm going to go for Wednesday. You're going to go for QPR. So that's nice. At least we've got a difference. And I guess we'll see what comes about. at At this point, we say congratulations to Huddersfield and staying up. It wouldn't surprise me either if Huddersfield <laughs> stayed up, you know, because I do think they've got quite an unspectacular but probably more solid squad, or certainly not squad, but starting eleven. Um, we'll see how these new additions, whether Reese Healy and Radulovic, can lift their ceiling and prove to be match winners for them, score some more goals, because that's obviously been the big problem for both them and Wednesday in particular. But yeah, my three, Rotherham, QPR and Huddersfield, and you going for Rotherham, um, Huddersfield and Sheffield Wednesday. So we'll see how that plays out. Thank you for listening to this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please tweet us your predictions and let us know any umbrage you take with ours. Um, we always like to hear from you. So make sure you're following us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24 and make sure you've subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get you your podcasts from. A huge thank you again to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.